welcome back to For Fintech Sake. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit, U.S. Content Director at Money 2020. My guest this week is Ohad Samet, CEO at TrueAccord. If you've been paying a lot of attention to YouTube, you may have noticed that this interview actually already went out with video. So if you're really dying to see <laughs> Lindsay, Ohad, and myself talk in a small booth in Vegas, please go to YouTube, search for Fintech Sake, and you'll find it there. But that said, Ohad, Lindsay Davis, head of markets at Atomic, and myself sit down in Vegas at Money 20 to catch up, shoot the shit on the clock as we tend to do, and dig into a bit of what Ohad's focused on these days. Outside of being content, as he would say, you'll get what I mean further into the interview. That's right. Treasure hunt. This week's episode of For Thin Tech's Sake is sponsored by LSBX. LSBX is Lincoln Savings Bank FinTech focused division. I never thought I'd be reading ads on For FinTech's Sake because honestly, I didn't know if anyone would ever listen. But as you all have shown me, there's something here. And if you've been listening since the early days, you know I started this craziness as a way to learn and talk to important people that would never give me the time of day and hopefully be able to share that out with you all. After deciding I was open to it, I made it very clear that I would only associate for fintech's sake with companies that are supporting founders and doing a net good, net positive for the world. LSBX is exactly that. They were supporting founders and doing the sponsor bank thing since 2014. So yes, before it was cool. And even before fintech was cool. If you're a startup or growth stage company looking to find direct banking relationships for deposits, debit card issuance, or access to banking rails through a great partner, go to lsbx.com. Lincoln Savings Bank is a member FDIC. That's another reason to partner with them. And without further ado, our second for fintech sake conversation with the man, the legend, the always powerful, Ohad Cement. All right, well, welcome to whatever the fuck this is. Attempt number two at Money 2020 podcast with Ooh. Lindsay and Zach. We got Ohad in the booth. How you doing, Ohad? Are you actively recording? Yeah, we're, we've been recording the whole time, actually. Okay, yeah, all, all of that. The first video podcast, all that shit is... Good to know. Yeah, we'll see if the, the listeners get to experience the BS that was that, but... Um, yeah, subject, the subject line of this is just phenomenal. I are, it just said, are you looking for someone? Correct. I, I'm not going to open that. No, I don't want to know. It's, it's like the creepiest subject line wins in Money 2020, I think. Have you guys noticed that? I get in some weird emails. Yeah, there was a moment in time when um, this guy from um, Salesforce who wrote the book, Aaron something... He wrote the book about scaling uh, SDRs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were, there were a few uh, templates for emails that were being circulated and every goddamn entry-level SDR used the same one. Are you the right person? <laughs> it's like sometimes I still see it and like a decade later, guys, come on, it's time to update them. But yeah, that, that one's not. That was perfectly kind. Yeah. So. It's, it's a little, no, that's a little weird. I have two someone. I mean, we don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but sure. We should at least explain who we are. So Lindsay, I think folks know you, but if you want to do a quick, this is who I am. This is what I do. Yeah. Lindsay Davis, head of markets, uh, Freddie Mercury impersonator. Sometimes uh, we build payroll connectivity to help consumers access their financial data and payroll accounts and make changes to their direct deposit. 
you just jump over the inside joke of the, oh. the, the queen reference and we're just going to act like listeners are going to get that shit, but we persevere. I didn't get that shit. Yeah. Nobody did. Nobody, even the, even the people on the inside didn't get that one. <laughs> oh, who are you? What do you do? What is this, uh, this true record thing that I, you, you seem to be working on for some period of time? Have been. So I'm, I'm, Co-founder and CEO of Thruacord, and Thruacord develops uh, solutions to help consumers in debt repay their debt. So whether it's like early stage when they're just late, late stage when they could be harassed by debt collectors, or they could be working with us, and more and more, kind of, we're going to launch a bunch of other stuff. But there's like, what happens when you're actually starting to dig yourself out of the hole and really want to take responsibility of all of your life, get protection from abusive debt collectors fight back a little bit, negotiate and so on. So we're thinking about that. We're building tools for that. Um, last month, we m- launched our retain product. It's basically white label, our expertise, your brand, uh, early stage. And that's a little bit more relevant than our, uh, relevant to a lot more fintech companies, right? Because even if you're very early on and you don't have a lot of losses, you want to be able to get consumers back on track. And this is what this product is doing. So even if you're not ever planning to work with collection agencies, which a mistake, but whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, then you can use that product in order to help your consumers get back on track. So uh, retain, it's uh, it's actually pretty cool. We launched it with a bunch of fintechs uh, that we can't talk about yet, fintech companies. Sorry, David. Um, yeah, no, you should apologize to me too. Oh I, I threw up in my mouth. I'm apologizing myself. That. Yeah, um, we should probably end it there. Yeah. That was, it was, we had fun, but then you said fintechs. So. I am very disappointed. Damn it, Doha. Okay. You're doing so good. So tell, tell us more about like the the... What, what is the technical lift if you're a fintech company that's involved in lending, be it, I guess, credit, term loans, could be anything lending centric, right? Like any, yeah. any of those, any of those ills, uh, how does it actually get implemented into the product? Is it just like very straightforward SDK kind of thing or how does that work? It's, a, it's an API right now. We're actually building the, the SDK and like the deep linking. Uh, it's going to become more and more embedded as we add more functionality into it. But right now it's basically... Uh, handing the consumer off with the handshake like, into a branded experience, but like a slightly different experience that helps them get back on track. This is, a, this is a product that encapsulates the internal servicing team. So we don't do the servicing for this product. It's your team, it's your systems. It's, you know exactly what's happening with the consumer. We're just focused on getting you connected with the consumer. Instead of having to reach out to them, we do everything to get them on, negotiate the payments. If there's a payment, it's your account that charges them and so on. Um, and you know, we're at the point where it's hard to uh, hire a lot of engineers. And as you scale, you want to focus on the stuff that you do well. So you want to work with a team that's obsessing over the, tro- the problems that you don't want to solve yourself. And that's what we've been doing for the past eight years now. 17 yeah. million consumers. We have 8 million active accounts. So we've been doing this for a while and we, we, we know what they're doing in a way that also is positive for the consumer, right? In a way that actually gets your, your you know, positive uh, perception of your brand. And then even when you go and they work with us as your vendor, that's also, um, if you look online, great reviews, consumers actually saying, I, I can't believe I'm saying that. They're, it's it's they're cool. It's really nice. It's like a very human way of, of collecting and making it what is a negative experience somewhat positive, as positive and human as you can. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that consumers write reviews about that kind of stuff yeah. is wild. And yeah. they're positive and, and like often pretty yeah. clever. I find yeah. like that's the only thing I ever read that you put on LinkedIn is those. when you think about it though, what is collections, right? People think that collections is harassing consumers into paying. Yeah. That's not the truth. If you, if you, Joe Smith owes money, $500 to a firm, he's in the market for a way to pay for the debt. 
right? Yeah. Most people want to pay, they just can't, right? So our perception is that this is almost like a specialized e-commerce application. My job is to get you engaged, is to tell you that there is a way for you to get the product that you want, is to find the product that you actually want, is to put it in front of you in a way that you can actually hear and actually sign up, yeah. is reduce friction. All the stuff that you do everywhere else, right? Flip the model, it works well. And then the consumers feel that they have agency. And by the way, sometimes when people complain, they complain, you know, I love the complaints that are a little bit uh, entitled. Like, I need to get better service. Are great. Yes. You don't feel like we're harassing you. You feel like you deserve something from us and we give you a service. That's exactly what we want. That's interesting. That, that flips the entire thing on its head. I've never really thought about just yeah. that simplicity of the, the words that they're using yeah. and the expectation that somehow is developed out of left field. Yeah. It's and, not to demand many money, but be nice. It yeah. is literally think about it differently. It's so bizarre. That's a, I mean, I guess it's not bizarre it's in this industry that we live in, but it is pretty wild that that's a competitive advantage. Yeah. And a big one. Mm. It's just, I mean, fundamentally, it's bill pay doesn't align with payday. So if you have a debt that's owed and the person that's charging the fees and, and wants to get repaid, if they're, if that underwriting process is inhuman, then the whole system is, is going to continue backwards. You're going to have to build it yourself from the outside in, prove that it works, and then white label it. Yeah, which is where we're at. Yeah, one of the earliest things that you did, and you see that because you guys deal with payroll, is you basically ask people, "When do you get paid?" We yeah, you don't have to ask them; you can just get it. Yeah, with now. us, with yeah. us, exactly. Would you? We don't. Would have been way really... more valuable if you asked them who paid them, but you know, yeah. we built in that process. Well, you know, seven years ago, them. you guys did not exist, right? So right. we had to ask. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. At least you ask. Yeah, and we see you know, when we gave people. So we most of the people who pay us pay us basically they subscribe to a payment plan. Mm -hmm. Right, so it's like recurring billing with a lot of consumers, and we found that if we give them a way to move the upcoming payment by up to three days on their phone on their own, breakage rates on the subscription drops by thirteen percent, and inbound contacts to the call center drop by eleven percent. Makes sense, right? Yeah, you know the payment scheduled on a Friday, it's a holiday. You want to move it to Monday? Yeah. It's super easy, and that's the whole idea. You don't need to. Yeah, you don't need to strong on people into paying. On average, every consumer pays us less on a monthly basis, but twice as many consumers actually pay. Wow, that's interesting. It makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, having I had one credit card go into default like beginning of COVID because I just forgot I had it. <laughs> I think it was like a $200 bill or something, but it ended up with a collector and they were just absolutely... They might have told you this story at some point when we talked, but they were absolutely harassing me. Yeah. And like living in Kansas City, payday loan center of the world, all these other things, like you know that the debt collection world is disgusting, but you don't really get it until somebody calls you and tells you that you're the worst fucking thing to ever happen to planet Earth and you pay your bill, you deadbeat. Like, good God, now, I'm, now I really don't want to pay you. Like, I'm, my credit score wants me to pay you, but you. That's the, exactly the experience that I had when I started a company. Actually, the person who called was not abusive, but was very demanding. Yeah, and very, it was just uncomfortable, and I just thought if I didn't have the money, that would be an incredibly uncomfortable situation. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's kind of where it started from. Yeah. So is everything you're talking about with like the ability to move the self service stuff, the ability to move the payment, all the kind of things that we expect out of a true accord experience, is all that available inside of Retain? Is there anything that isn't? in that experience? Some of these things we're building because they're for the later buckets. Um, when you think about early stage collections, it's more about um, cure rates. Like how many people can you get back on track? So you're only late on one payment. When we deal with Recover, that's a last uh, late stage uh, product. It's a lot more about something has happened to you. 
you're getting divorced, you lost uh, your job. Yeah, someone, it's a healthcare situation, right? So you're in the middle of trauma and it's more about, let's talk about everything that's happening to you and let's talk about your life in general. And that's also where we're going with the rest of our products. It's like, let's think about the overall load, exactly health of your life and everything that you have on. Because, you know, people talk about BNPL a lot and it's true that consumers that use BNPL have, we are seeing five to six different loans from different providers. Really? Yeah. But, but when you look at credit cards in the US, consumers have on average three and a half credit cards. Now it's down from five, but it's still three and a half on average. So it doesn't matter what product you have. If you're stacking, you're stacking. If yeah. you're, if you're life is going to shit really and you really need to survive you will max out everything you have it doesn't matter what the product is yeah so that's what we're dealing with it's like okay let's start picking you up right first of all we can help then let's talk about how we approach all of this and then let's stop the phone calls then let's make you let's level the field so you can see this this person that uh, i want to negotiate with what's worked for the, for others and how can we actually make it happen and that's it's a very, very complex situation. And a lot of providers in this market hide behind uh, policies and procedures. Yeah. Right? Can't talk to you on the phone. It's not in our policies. Like the consumer is, is on the verge of a panic attack from crying, yeah, crying not, do, not wanting to call you because they are stressed. Okay. Can you answer the friggin' email? Yeah. No, it's you not in our policy. It's okay. I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> can you talk to me about some of the repayment options that you guys are thinking? And we talked preliminarily about it. Like I wrote a newsletter, like we're working in a BNPL space right now, right. paying back the long paycheck and like the propensity for the consumer to want to do it. They can get access to a better interest rate, but then that's doesn't help with the collection side of things because they, they've already fallen behind. But you could see if they were unemployed randomly, right? Like all of a sudden they don't have a payment that's going to come in in two weeks. Yeah. And then you can kind of get ahead of it. It's like kind of like slapping together some, some money advances in between paydays as well. Yeah. Um, we are very careful with credit for consumers and collections. If they're starting to dig their way out and we think that they're doing better and we have an insight that's not factored into their credit score, then maybe we can do something there. Just like very low APR, but... It's a slippery slope. Sorry? It feels like a really slippery slope. hundred percent. Exactly. So we don't want to mix. uh, And actually, thankfully, this is an area where regulation actually protects consumers. Yeah. Uh, which is good if you follow them, which some people don't. Um, but in terms of, it, it's a lot of it is about flexibility. Pay now, pay a little bit now, pay later. Custom payment plans. Literally, I have three jobs. I can pay $25 this week and I can pay $50 next week. And every once in a while, I get more tips so I can you know, uh, pay you $10 out of cycle and you can update the payment plans. Like this, this type of flexibility, one, you can't do with a call center and two, uh, very helpful for the consumer. Yeah. And you know, uh, I just I want to tie this back to macro. We've been uh, for a while, we didn't know what the market's going to look like. Of course, consumers were sitting at home. Nobody was buying anything yeah. or not buying as much. Um, got money from the government. People are paying down debt. That was nice. And, you know, default rates fell off a cliff and so on. Um, but I, I think we all knew that the parties were going to be over at some point, unfortunately. And I think at this point, looking at data from credit bureaus, it looks like the bottom has been, uh, was in June of this year. So when you look at credit underwriting, when you look at default rates, when you look at evictions, when you look at all these things, everything is up and to the right, unfortunately, and, and it is accelerating. And it's not, um, 
a coincidence that we see a lot of companies around here offering start a credit card plan program in 90 days, you know, thinking about lending and so on. For the next six to 12 months, consumer lending is going to be bonkers, right? Dangerous. Because and and <laughs> potentially dangerous if you don't think about the ramifications. And one of the things that we're seeing is that people in the fintech space don't want to think about losses before it's too late. And it's really sad, in my opinion, when you start lending to consumers, you don't think about the losses. And then six months down the line, you see that you have losses and you panic and you just send it off to, to a regular collection agency yeah. or to sell it off to a debt buyer. Because even the best debt buyers, you when we work with many of them, you lose control over the experience. You lose the ability to reacquire the consumer. You lose the ability to give them the sense that you're actually taking care of them. And it's it's suboptimal. So, you know, with this white label product, we're basically trying to tell everyone we have a way to help you from day one so you, that you don't need to think about it, but we actually can obsess about it for you. So you said that we hit the peak in June. Does that mean it's like slowly improving now or it's just like continuing to compound and get worse? No, it is not improving. It means that the default, good, good point. So, the default rates were lowest in June. Oh, and have okay. To okay. Grow since. So the valley was hit, and now we're we're kind of peaking sort of yes. situation. Okay. In terms gotcha. of in terms of credit activity, so overall credit volume. So yeah. new loans are being underwritten. The default rates are, and the default rates are growing in the, at a relative term sense as well. So it's not only that we're borrowing more dollars, so there are more dollars in default. There are also more relative dollars in default over time. Ah, uh, okay. If you had to compare and contrast it, like if you had to guess about the way that this is all going to feel once the, the shit hits the fan kind of thing, do you think we're looking at like a, a more, a, a less mortgage centric 2008? Do you think we're looking at just like an, ex, an extended shock from COVID? Like, or do you think this is like a, a thing that is in and of itself and very novel? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And uh, I expect I, you to know everything. That's, that's a very, I'm on a, I didn't see that answer coming. Yeah, I know everything other than that. Uh, <laughs> Just that one thing. No, but really, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how you, can, how you can predict these things. You know, I always say I live between three countries, right? Israel, Sweden, and the US. And at any point in time, if I visit one of these countries, someone's going to ask me about one of the two others and say what they're doing, what are they doing right or wrong, depending on the time. It's like, yeah. You see three different approaches and in the US, of course, based on state. And at any point in time, somebody looks very smart and then immediately looks very dumb. And you look at that and you say, how can you, one, think about public policy in these times? I couldn't. I don't want to. Right. And two, how can you predict anything? It's insane. So yeah. we're I'm just so gonna, glad I got out of the analyst game in yeah. April 2020. I dropped one last report. I was like, well, bye. Yeah. <laughs> well, also like pretty much every show we do together, I, draw, I pull up something from two years ago that you said that has actually come true. Like a lot of those things have actually happened. I believe that. Yeah, consistently. <laughs> it's pretty it's much fun. every time that we do it. It's fun. I would have never predicted the pandemic. Well, sure. But yeah, I mean, to your point, like, yeah, yeah. But even the mask thing was like, everybody, we don't need masks. And then next week, we need masks or I'm going to murder you in the street. And then, yeah, it's a very bizarre... There's a lot of overlap. Yeah, look, it's hard to operate. We're uh, almost 400 people, two offices, a lot of remote people, and you want to operate in a way that's actually safe for folks to come to work if they want to. Yeah. And in some cases, because their role has some regulatory implications, because they have to. Right. right? And you clean stuff up, and you can maybe mandate vaccinations and mandate uh, 
masks and you, you distance and so on. And thankfully, we've been fine on that, but it's, it's been rough. And yeah. making those decisions, you basically week by week, you may change your mind. It's very yeah. complex, uh, but humans are you know, precious. We've got to protect them. Yeah, and nothing if not complex as well. well. That too. Yeah. So to your earlier point, and I'm curious about both of your perspectives on this, what do you think it is about the... Is it the credit world? Is it the kind of people founding the companies? Is it the incentives laid upon them by VCs? Like why, why is the ignoring of the... Ignoring of what it actually means to lend, ignoring of you know what it actually means to to have losses, especially in an early stage company. Like, what, what, how do you? Why do you think that manifests the way that it does? In what you were talking about earlier, that was the most long winded fucking question in my life. I apologize to everyone. I can't talk. How would how would you tell me what you think, and then I tell you what you what I think? <laughs> uh, the third the third one is probably what I think is VC incentives and just a general like lipstick on a pig kind of vibe that we like to do at board meetings where we like to tell a story that maybe is not always totally in line with reality and not lead with what's wrong, but lead with what's absolutely perfect. And it's time to preempt our next round. That's my two cents, but maybe I just lost all my VC friends. So Hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think? (laughs) I think there's just a lack of awareness of the end consumer. They haven't walked a mile in the shoes of the the end consumer. The founder or the VC? I would say maybe potentially some a little bit of both, but I doubt that if a company's raising at that later stage that they haven't been in, invested in that market. It's like this is actually a lot of these companies have been building for seven years, eight years, ten years, and like mm-hmm. this is an inflection point for them. Such that when the pandemic happened, these companies didn't just get spun up. It's like they were in the right market, sort of at the right time. So that that is definitely what happened in that scenario where you're seeing like. But I'm just saying from like the lack of awareness, like we're continuing to push technology in this direction, right? Like, oh, everything's automated, like lipstick on a pig, like you said, there's humans in the loop in both of our companies, like for compliance reasons, for, for literally because a computer can't make a human stop crying when they can't pay their bills or they, you know, accidentally overdrafted their bank account that actually cost them hundreds of dollars, yeah. not just the $35 overdrafted, but there, there needs to be an awareness of like how far technology has come. But yes, it's 2021 and people still sign up for bank accounts and they're handed manual forms to bring to HR to switch the direct deposit or they're given a portal to sign in and figure out how to do it themselves. It is absurd. Yeah. Absolutely. Your turn. Yeah. <laughs> I think both of you are making very good points. Not that VCs don't understand. I think there are great VCs in the fintech world that understand oh, yeah. losses and so on. I do think that, but I agree with you that a lot of funding creates a very laissez-faire approach to sometimes losses, sometimes to management too, right? We'll manage, we'll hire more people and that's going yeah. to be fine. Um, and I'm not, you know, I don't think about specific companies, but, you know, looking at what we've had to do because we've had to mature very quickly, um, that that is a little bit different in that regard. And I think I agree with you, Lindsay, that it is almost almost binary in our in investors that I talk to. If they've had an experience, even... Even Zach's experience, like something like I forgot to pay something that I could actually afford and then I experienced how abusive it can be. The conversation is significantly different. So the the walking in your shoes and understanding that people uh, in debt are not villains. They don't do it intentionally. We don't need to, you know, hit them on the head. And they're not victims in terms of like they're not in control of their lives and so on. And I cannot, again, every time I say this, I say read The Unbanking of America, a book that's amazing about... Uh, that that shows in an incredible way how people make the most rational decisions 
given their starting conditions, mm-hmm. which are starting conditions that most in the founding and funding communities do not understand, have not experienced. And I think that's a big, big part of that. Yeah. But they all took economics classes. I feel like you, you, the, the assumption of a rational human in your economics class, I feel like gets you to a similar position if you like take it to heart. It's but not, you both just viscerally disagreed with me. So it's very, I mean, you, if you don't have the lived experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess, I, yeah, my economics classes were tied up in the fact that I was poor when I grew up. So <laughs> I definitely had that filter when I was going through that. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. that's, that's helpful in that regard. It doesn't mean that it's easy to do it, but you absolutely understand. And this is exactly, you know, sometimes people ask me, how do you hire so many people to work on debt collection? You know, once you are, so when we started, of course, this was like, people would refuse us and go to work on ad placements, which, I mean, come on. Yeah, they regret um, it now. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I think so. I, um, but once we've reached a certain size, then it's self-perpetuating that if you join the company, you already bought into, this is not, I'm working in this because I want to actually change it. Yeah. Right? And so you come and baked with, I know how I'm going to explain my choice to family, friends, and to myself. And that becomes a really great uh, differentiator. Uh, but it took time to get there, right? And telling the story again and again. again. It's fine. That's my job. Yeah. How many years did it take before you feel like confident in your ability to get somebody on board? Uh, probably 57. Uh, to get someone on board? Yeah, like a true accord. Like from day one of you guys founding the company to like, oh, I bet I, I know I can talk this person into it. I, I will tell you though, Somebody that you offered head of lending, he regrets it and he wanted me to tell you that because it's a hard thing to work on. Yep. And that's why it's, it's dealing with losses, but it's, it's, it's like one of the biggest regrets of his life. <laughs> well, we'll be big enough for whomever that is to look for another job. Yeah. Um, but I actually thought, I felt like we hit it before COVID. Uh, even a year before COVID, I was at a point where I would say, I don't need to tell people that, for example, we're diverse. I just take the candidate, take them on a tour on the floor, and I see them visibly relax. Uh, whether it's a woman, we have incredible executives for uh, C-level, several VPs, several directors who are very impressive. Uh, whether it's people over 40, uh, whether it's, and now it's a little bit harder, but also other other categories of diverse talent. We can always do better, but there are definitely places where we've invested and, and did a very good job. Uh, so yeah, uh, about a year before the pandemic. That's wild. Is there anything... So I'm, I'm very fascinated by this subject because I think people talk about it a shit ton, but like a lot of talk in the talk, maybe not a ton of walk in the walk. Is there anything you've learned in terms of hiring in that general realm, You know, whatever your buzzword is, diversity, yada, yada, yada. Um, anything that you've learned or like uncovered through that whole process that you wish people knew? I, I want to present myself as some guru. We have work to do. In no, work countries. other people did that you learned from kind of thing. Oh. <laughs> I'm guessing you weren't the one that figured out the whole recruiting process to make it. I think first and foremost, we were just honest about it. You yeah. know, people say words matter. Yeah. And sometimes people say things and I'm like, you don't understand, you don't understand that you're using. So for example, there was a panel about the product market fit a few days ago and, you know, people talk about product market fit and they say something like people are knocking down your door, blah, blah, blah. It's like you're in Star Trek and like you engage warp drive and it's come on, come on. The vast majority of people have seen their product market fit only in hindsight, like a year. Like, oh, I I guess that's what it was, right? In the moment it was like, 
we held on to the chairs yeah. and we prayed. Just bailing exactly. out water. Like it didn't yeah. break. But things were breaking and we were right. like, yeah. we were focused on the fires and we were focused on what's not working. We didn't realize it was actually product market fit. And it's the same thing here. People say we hired the best talent and then they end up all looking the same. So I think it's number one is to understand that words mean something and actually mean them. And when we said we hired the best person for the job, if that person is a woman, if that person is over 40 or over 50, if that person is a POC and so on and so forth, yeah. then you hired the best person. Maybe, maybe it helped that I didn't have a very, very wide network in the Bay Area when we started. Mm. So I was forced to hire good people yeah. that were not from the network. Of course, I'm joking, right? Air quotes. Um, but that that is something that you've learned from a lot of people and it worked out. I love it. I think we're coming up on, if not already over time. So I want to have two things left for you. One, tell folks about War Room. I think you've done 10 episodes now. Yeah, War Room is, was an experiment to see if I can actually swing a, a podcast while running a company. Uh, the answer is no, you can't. <laughs> But, yeah, 10 episodes. But I had about, yeah, I, I've had about 10 episodes. I thought it was fun. People were, came, friends came to talk very honestly about being a successful founder in a successful company and still having this, oh shit, moment, like I, I think I'm going to fail. It's still online. I'm still paying the monthly you know, subscription to keep the content online because I think it's helpful for people. Um, and one day, maybe we'll do more. We'll see. I love it. Well, yeah, I, I really, I haven't listened to them all yet, but I really enjoyed your conversation with Shamir and I will, I'll put that in the show notes for everybody That's a good one. Um, and put the war room in general in the show notes. But if folks want to get in touch with you, maybe learn about this new launch that you're doing on the white label side of things, what's the, what's the best way to find you? It's Ohad, my name at throughaccord.com. Very easy. Boom, baby. And we'll put that in the show. fabulous. He is fabulous on Twitter. Funny he is. Twitter. Yeah, I think that's like the that's that's what I'm convinced you've spent most of your time not other than CEOing. I feel like you've been tweeting since COVID started. I just want to say something because we have a minute. We, <laughs> my generation, we made content on the internet. Okay, we start from BBSs. We moved into uh, Usenet, into IRC, so combative. into only online forums. You think you can come into my house? You're like house? I'm the meme god, baby. I am not. I am pre meme. Okay, I predate. I'm pre meme. Okay, don't sound so surprised. This is. A stream of consciousness we know what we're done no 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 i think i feel like you just got defensive for something that i wasn't like coming no, out. I, yeah, mean, you know? I mean i mean i'm staking my claim <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, have to make content on yeah, I am content <laughs> you are in your basement in sweden exactly <laughs> you are content you are content. Yeah. Lindsay, how the hell do people find you and where are you and who uh, are you I'm, well, Lindsay. we did that I guess. Yeah, yeah, we did that at the beginning yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, less fabulous follow. A bit more polished sometimes. But one day, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to let Shots it out. Shots fired. <laughs> Fight. I think those were fighting words. <laughs> oh, I just can't be as raw. I'm not as successful as Ohad yet. <laughs> There's something to be said for that, actually. Good, good, yeah. Good save. Thank yeah. You. I, no, that's the truth. Yeah, yeah, I, I read some you. of your tweets and I'm like, ah, one day. One right? day. <laughs> just I tell me that. which ones those are because I have no clue. Yeah, I don't yeah, remember either. Rapid fire. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just get your it out there. kids are going to be super fast. Yeah, one day. Just wait. They're going to go back through it. They're going to, your kids are going to cancel you. It's going to be amazing. That's true. <laughs> Thank you, Ohad. Thank Appreciate you, guys. you dude. This is fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of For Fintech Sake with Ohad Samet, CEO at True Accord. And thanks again to LSBX for making this episode possible. You can learn more about Lincoln Savings Bank's fintech program at lsbx.com. Tell them Zach sent you. 
Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and all the other things I'm supposed to remind you to do in your favorite podcast app. And if you want our weekly emails, go to forfintechsake.com and subscribe there. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, and feel free to send me an email with what you'd like to see at Money 2020 next year because I don't mind you doing my work for me. Thanks again, y'all, and we'll talk soon.